0: Welcome to the Auto Supply Chain Profits Podcast, where we help you prepare for the future in the auto supply chain.
1: I'm Jan Griffiths, your co-host and producer. I'm Kathy Fisher, your podcast host. Our mission is to help automotive manufacturers recognize, prepare for, and profit from whatever comes next in the auto supply chain. I'm Onika, your podcast
2: host. We'll be giving you best practices and key supply chain insights from industry leaders.
0: Because the auto supply chain is where the money is. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Auto Supply Chain Profits Podcast. And today we're going to take a macro view of the industry and the standards in our beloved auto industry. But first, let's check in with my co-hosts, Kathy Fisher. How are you doing today? I'm great, Jan. How are you? Oh, not too bad. It's been a week. Terry, or Nika, how are you today? I'm doing great. I'm glad it's a cooler day in Michigan today. I know. Before we get into the meat of
1: this episode, Kathy, what have you been up to this past week? I have been preparing for the second half of 2023. We have been uh, reviewing our progress so far this year, which has been quite amazing. We've had some really good client work that we've been doing and just kind of gearing up for the second half of the year and getting ready also for uh, some more learning. uh, From my standpoint, I always like to sharpen the saw.
0: (laughs) You know, you've been in business for how many years now?
1: 27. 27 years.
0: You've gone through this process a number of times. I am always interested to know, as you hone in that strategic planning process, what are you doing differently this time that's perhaps better than previous
1: years? I think it really starts with having clarity around who your clients are, who you're working with. The market that you're serving, and most importantly, the value that you're bringing to your clients and the problems you're helping them solve. So we've been really lucky at being able to fine tune that by leaning into the automotive space for the past you know 20, actually 40 years of my career. And uh, in that time, we've really been able to say. Uh, streamline how we go about recognizing how we add value to our clients as well as what the most pressing problems that they're facing currently are so that we can uh, add maximum value. That's great. I love that.
2: Terry, what have you been up to this past week? The past week I did some MMOGLE training with a fully packed class at 25 students. So that's a big virtual class for me. That's always fun to manage that. Another big project I'm working on at QED is our web refresh for our content. So all the verticals are updating the content on the web. So I'm working on the automotive and really giving it a new makeover. So it's been fun.
0: Don't talk to me about web refresh. I'm going through the same thing right now. I can't even tell you how many times I've updated my website, but I, I would like to tie both of these things together because you have to have a clear strategy and know who your clients are going back to what Kathy's been working on this week. Because without that, you can't generate the copy, as we say, which means the words that you actually have on your website. You can't generate the copy unless you know who your target clients are. So it all ties in together. And for me, this past week, I celebrate an anniversary five years ago. I walked away from my corporate job. Woo-hoo! Yes, woo Yes, congratulations. <laughs> Yay!
1: That's wonderful.
0: And what a journey it has been. And I have been tempted along the way to go back, as we all <laughs> have been uh, entrepreneurs in this space. But I'm still here. I'm still standing. And authentic
1: leadership is my jam. And I'm going to keep going. Yeah, and the industry so needs our voices and our encouragement towards change with everything that the industry is facing right now. The transformation is just, it's a revolution.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Well, culture transformation in our beloved industry is happening. Some companies get it and are on an accelerated path more than others. Let's talk a bit about the standards that go along with that. When I think of automotive standards, my mind automatically jumps back to the old AIAG blue books. I was one of the first people that really took that up and I was like, APQP, yeah. In fact, I was working for Bosch back in the day. There was no APQP training and I made my own training tapes and brought people in for training sessions into the Bosch St. Joe plant. And I mean, I was literally dragging manufacturing engineers that didn't want anything to do with it, literally dragging them in there. I mean, you know, I had to have food and everything, right? To get them in there. (laughs) And I, I look back and I think, boy, how far we've come from those days when there was resistance to just a little old APQP planning. But that being said, What does the future look like, Kathy? What does the future look like from a standards perspective in this industry?
1: Well, I wish I had the crystal ball to tell you what's coming. I do know that there's changes that are in the pipeline, so to speak, for the IETF 16949, which is our current automotive quality management system standard. And there's also some work that's happening in reviewing and updating some of the core tools. I don't know specifically about APQP, but I do know that there's a a project that's going on right now with AIG and VDA on harmonizing SPC. Remember Statistical Process Control? That was actually the first AIG manual that was released in 1993, I think it was. Yes, it's a long time ago that these blue books have been around. But what we've been seeing You know, especially as we look at the impact that COVID has had to the industry, as well as the transformation that we're making rapidly into electrification and in the future, certainly autonomous vehicle, is our standards are not really keeping up, in my opinion. They really aren't. You know, we had talked back in the 2015 timeframe about the need to have more focus around software and the impact that software has in vehicle systems, as well as the integration of software into the current uh, technology in the vehicles. And we added a couple of things into the IETF standard, but not really substantially reviewed the core tools, for instance, in in terms of how those need to be adjusted to uh, reflect the level of technology, especially software that um, the industry is facing. And we've added, as far as sanctioned interpretations to IETF 169.49, some additional requirements around cybersecurity, but it's not necessarily looking at cybersecurity from a systemic standpoint. It's more, hey, make sure cybersecurity is addressed as part of your contingency plan and make sure that people are aware of cyber attacks and that type of thing um, within the organization. So my opinion is that we really need to take a strong look at our automotive standards, not just from the quality standpoint. Terry, what does it look like from your side in terms of MMOGLE?
2: Well, MMOGLE, we're pretty religious about updating it every three to four years. And it actually, if you want to know how much time it actually takes, it takes a good year because there's a lot of criteria in MMOGLE. Our intent is never to replace IETF, nor is IETS intent ever to replace supply chain. But I think what you and I see is that they need to highlight where it's complementary. So in my AIAG MMOGLE training class I teach in the industry, I've been bringing up the cross-reference that we did, which shows where MMOGLE and IETF complement each other. And I tell you, that has been very hot in class. All the students want to have a copy of it. Because a lot of times they have some starting point from a quality side, right? And they can use that. And it's helpful for the quality people to understand how that overlaps in MMOGLE. So I can see there's really good, strong encouragement at the plant level for it. I still don't know if beyond the people that have to complete the assessments understand the value of it. So the plant manager, VPs of operations, CEOs, I feel like we're back to where we were, where we're paying attention to the assessment when there is this event and we've got a customer coming in to look at it. And then after that goes away, it all just gets wheeled away and filed and we just keep resubmitting our assessments. So I, I see that a lot. I'm sure, Kathy, do you see that on the quality side, too, where you put a lot in for the audit and then after that, that it it, it just simmers afterwards to an extent? Yeah, I like that word simmers. Yeah, I think I think you're right, uh, but
0: I have to go back to a point that you just made, Terry. You said that in your class, people really like this document that shows that you mapped MMOGLE and IATF. You, you know me. You know I'd rather have a nice pick in the forehead than go through that that exercise. But I am certainly glad that there are people like you and Kathy Fisher on the planet that want to do that. But I could see the benefit in doing that, just in case our audience, they want to
2: get their hands on that. Can they get that from you? Yes, we can put it on the website and also we'll make it available with this podcast. Absolutely. Okay, in the show notes. Yes. So what
0: do you see, Kathy? Do you see that as, as being true? A lot of focus, a lot of effort on the actual assessment.
1: And then as Terry said, it just kind of simmers. Yeah, I think one of the issues is that manufacturers in the automotive supply chain are not viewing MMOGLE as a set of criteria in defining their supply chain management system. I think we've gone a long way in terms of establishing quality management systems back in the day, QS 9000, ISO TS 16949, and now currently ITF 16949. And over those iterations, because of the certification requirements that the OEMs and Tier 1s have of their suppliers, there's been a focus on building a management system, a collection of processes that are interrelated and work together in the organization towards fulfilling the customer's requirements. But when we talk about fulfilling the customer's requirements, that includes delivery, which is all about supply chain. Yet, we don't really expand on the processes of supply chain as a management system in the same way that we do quality. And this is the advantage I see, certainly with MMOGLE, is that there's all your criteria. Organizations, rather than just viewing this as, oh, my customer's asking me these questions about supply chain, I'm going to answer them for the assessment, they should be looking at those criteria from the standpoint of what are the processes inside of my organization that support this and how are those processes working together in an integrated fashion, not just from a supply chain standpoint, but also connecting with quality. This is where this cross-reference really helps them see that they can leverage existing processes in fulfilling some of those MMOGLE criteria. And we also need to expand beyond that. It's not just quality and supply chain. We also need to be looking at some of the other factors, especially around sustainability, which is now a requirement in MMOGLE. And I anticipate we're going to see some language around sustainability, if not in future versions of IETF, most possibly in even the ISO 9001 standard in the future.
0: Terry, how do you see all of this mapping back to the 24 essential supply chain processes? Because that document really, you've done a lot of the hard work. The both of you, you know, co-authored this document. And it really is a total macro view of supply chain and how to run your business, what to
2: focus on, right? Absolutely. And you know, when you think of 24 essential supply chain processes, you think that's just a lot to focus on. But supply chain is not easy. I, I don't know where anybody really thinks that supply chain is easy, right? So what Kathy and I did is we took MMOGLE. Kathy went through it and looked at where it crosses, crosses over with IETF 16949. And then from there, we looked at the F3 question. So an MMOGLE, and F3 question is a core foundation of supply chain management. So that's really where our 24 essential supply chain processes came. We made sure we addressed the most critical of those F3 questions and then put that as a starting point out there for folks to take a look at. And I can tell you that those 24, every time Kathy and I go out to work with customers on it, they can pick five. Sometimes they say, we want to go over every single one. There's just challenges in all those areas and people really recognize that they're failing in those areas. So our assessments against those really help to bring people back. Another thing I really want to mention right now that I see as a trend and where we're struggling in the industry is there's so many new people. So every time I teach an AIAG MMOGLE training course and I go around and say, let me know a little bit your experience with MMOGLE, very rarely do I get somebody that says I've been... Doing this for five years. It's always brand new people. So to me, it goes back to we're not documenting our processes. We don't have that culture yet in our plants because when these new people come in, they lose all of that knowledge. So something is going wrong there. I still think we are okay with just, you know, premium freight freighting things. Just get it there. (laughs) That's our that's our method. And we got to stop the madness because Kathy and I were talking earlier. When we think of sustainability, And automotive, it should be so easy for us in supply chain because we've had lean. Lean is about eliminating waste in manufacturing, right? Yet, why are we having this trouble in supply chain? We shouldn't be having it. But I think lean in many cases was just, people said they did it, but it was all about just cutting to the bone and not really applying the right processes and practices to get you the efficiencies that you need. It was all about just reducing costs. And I think that's where we went wrong in supply chain. I think so. And
0: let me give you a recovering supply chain leader's perspective, right? I've spent, as you know, I've spent 36 Mm -hmm. years in supply chain in automotive. And as a supply chain leader, I was measured on cost reduction, on piece price reduction, right? And I was given a budget that would shrink typically every year. And you have to make a decision on where you're going to put your headcount. Now, the people that worked, I would say, on the guts of the ERP system, so setting up the part numbers, plan for every part, all the advanced supply chain work that we know is important, honestly, that would be one of the first positions that I would nix because it did not. Tie directly to purchase price variance. So if you're not, if, if you didn't tie directly to PPV, you're at risk. And it's because the leadership and the measurement system comes from the leadership, comes from the CEOs, right? So that flows all the way down. Now, the reality is that because you take out the people who really understand the ERP system, know how to set up a part number properly in the system, know how to do a plan for every part, know how to walk across the aisle to the quality people and make sure that APQP and all the program management disciplines are in place. Because those people are not there anymore, or you've skinnied it down so far that they can't be successful, that cost comes back and bites you in the butt later. Because you didn't have the right capacity at the supplier, that's a problem. Premium freight is hitting you left and right. So now you've got all this unplanned expense.
1: It's about doing it right up front. Do you think, Kathy, do you see some of that happening? Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that uh, comes to mind is that there's this thinking that supply chain comes down to purchase part variance. Hello, purchasing is not the sum total of supply chain. In fact, it's just one piece, just like manufacturing is just one piece of supply chain. And until we move towards a supply chain orientation and managing our business, we're constantly going to be clipping a little bit here, clip a little bit there and sub-optimizing what systems we do have in place, right? And also losing a lot of organizational knowledge, which is essential for continuity and ultimately what sustainability is all about. Sustainability is not just about environmental and paying your people and making sure that you've got governance in place. It's the entire realm of making sure that your business is gonna be in business 10, 20, 30 years from now. That's what sustainability is really all about. And the only way that organizations can be successful at sustainability is to view their business from a supply chain perspective, because all of those elements work together. And break
2: down the silos, like Kathy and I said. How often do you hear purchasing, pick this supplier because they were low cost, and you hear the materials manager say, this supplier constantly disrupts us every day. But they were the cheapest supplier, so live with it, right? Right. We got to get people working together in all phases of supply chain. Otherwise, we just continue to fight these battles. And it's just at the end of the day, it always feels like it's about cost and not about doing the right thing in the industry. And it's so frustrating for me because I see it all the time when I go out to plants. I know Kathy does, too. We talk about all the time, all the shenanigans that we see going on. I wish I could drag CEOs and VP of operations with me to the plant. And say, let's just go through the checklist with you standing here and to see just how poor some of these plants are running. And a lot of times they want more, but they can't get it because it's viewed as something. Oh, I got to invest in that. So I don't want to spend money to maybe get more efficient, to maybe give them the tools that they need. I don't know how many times I go out to plants and they're running on, you know, green screens, black screens. Why in 2023 would anybody be on a black screen or a green screen? I just don't get it. So it's just, it's frustrating. It is. And the shenanigans you refer to, (laughs) the shenanigans are
0: typically the hallmark of a command and control culture that's been in existence in our industry for decades. Now, we've talked about this on this podcast before. There is an advantage to being a legacy auto supplier or manufacturer, because you have infrastructure, you have systems, you have an understanding of what, for example, an ERP is, you know what a quality system is, you know what the standards are, and the startup companies miss a lot of that basic knowledge. However, the startups don't have so much of that cultural impetus to protect the silos. And I I believe, and you've heard me mention this before, but when I spoke with Dr. Andy Palmer, from uh, former CEO of Aston Martin, COO of Nissan, Godfather of the EV, they call him. He knows a thing or two, right? He said, "There's no this idea that the startup culture is right or legacy auto is wrong or vice versa. There is only the culture that you as a leader want for your organization." which means that these CEOs need to break the mold and start to define what is the culture they want and think about that.
1: Yeah. And I think that there's a big opportunity right now that we can take the best of both worlds, right? We've got all of this history and and legacy and knowledge that exists in the industry. But clearly we're having to change the way that we're operating to compete with the new technology players who are coming in and challenging the EV space and also autonomous vehicle space. And they're bringing some great ideas, some great perspectives. And this was really what prompted Terry and I to take a strong look at the automotive supply chain and quality realm, is that as we looked at structures like Amazon, like that's technology. And that's the competition that's coming in and challenging the automotive industry. It's not, let's adopt 100% what they're doing. It's let's look at what's working for them, what's working for us in automotive, and how do we bring the two together to truly optimize the future of the industry from a supply chain perspective.
2: That would be my dream is to see
1: a traditional OEM
2: and an EV OEM come together, really want to listen to each other and adopt each other's behavior, that would be an awesome company. Because what I think is that the startups don't understand how to mass produce. That's where I see they start to fall. They don't understand that. Traditional companies understand the mass startups, but they don't understand how to be lean and nimble and creative sometimes, I think, as as the startups do that innovation culture that they have. So I think the blend would be amazing. I totally agree. They
0: almost need to do what you guys did with IATF and MMOG, right? List the criteria, list the values and what they believe are the hallmarks of both cultures and then map them together and let's see where they need to go. I absolutely love that. So for all of our Tier 1s and OEMs who are out there listening to the show today, if any of this has resonated with you, and I suspect that it has done, then please download the 24 Essential Supply Chain Processes. They are there to help you. It is a phenomenal starting point. Thank you,
2: Kathy. Thank you, Terry. Thanks, Jan. Thanks, Jan.
0: Are you ready to find the money in your supply chain? Visit www.autosupplychainprofits.com to learn how or click the link in the show notes below.